it has been an active couple of weeks, and we are excited to have our students back from camp, and a number of work projects have been completed. We're grateful for all of those things. Hopefully, uh, um, hopefully you know that there's a place for absolutely everybody to give their gifts and talents, and we'll talk about that some during the message this morning in a way that, that you can serve the Lord and, and be a bold witness for your Savior. Um, that being said, I'd have you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We've been, over the course of the past several weeks, have been kind of weaving back and forth and coming back to this narrative as we've had some holidays and some other things that have happened. We're looking now back to the life of Saul, who, who the last time we visited him had been met by Ananias, and there's this powerful moment of Ananias investing in him because the Lord told him to do so. But now we're going to see what happens after that initial part. And this is an important piece for us. And this is something that I hope that each and every one of you understands is, is a, a delicate time in the life of a believer, and that is the initial excitement of coming to Jesus is met with real-world challenges. And we're going to see this firsthand this morning in the Scripture. So if, when we get to Acts chapter 9, if you'll find verse number 23, and you'll stand in honor of God's Word. Acts chapter 9, verse number 23. The Scripture reads this way. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night, and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them in Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenist, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in their fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that when we come to Scripture, we were reminded that even the early church and the, the first believers, the ones who were so, so obstinate and so absolutely opposed to you that were transformed, that they faced real hardships, they faced real trouble. But as a result of the encouragement of others, they, they were able to press on and be bold in their witness. Lord, I pray and I thank you, Lord, that we are able to do the same, to be bold in our witness of you in the midst of our life, in the midst of our hardships. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, I don't know if it was true for you, but, you know, coming to, coming to faith as a teenager, that the picture of my life, that there was a great number of things that, that challenged me immediately. And some of that was my friends. My friends who were not about this, we're not comfortable with some of the things that, that church was about or that the Bible was about or that Jesus was about. And as a result, it was led for me to have a number of years between the time where I first said I wanted to be saved by Jesus until the time where I submitted to his full lordship where I was a pretty bumpy you know, testimony. I'll tell you that a lot of people will, will say that, man, they had a horrible life and then they got to Jesus and then everything changed. I'll tell you that I got to Jesus and then I did a lot of 
trying to be in two worlds. And then God really got a hold of me, and I submitted to his lordship, and then some things really changed. And it's amazing to me how when I look immediately at Saul's testimony is, is that Saul is, he goes from a place where he is hunting believers, hating them and everything they're about and chasing them down, trying to arrest them, and in certain cases, killing them. To being a guy who's like, no, I'm getting ready to give you the best sermon you've ever heard. And he does this almost instantaneously. That's pretty, that's pretty profound when you think about it. Well, let's look at it. Verse 23 and point number one in your bulletin, if you're taking notes this morning, is following Jesus will change your relationships. It, it, so it says, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. He was one of them. I mean, that first point saying follow Jesus will change your relationships. Can you imagine being part of a group that you were immediately investing in, in something very differently and they're like, no, 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 not only is he out of the group, we want to do him harm. He's not allowed to, to, to carry on. And that's the picture of Saul in this story. That's the picture of him in this moment. We, we see this, this, this powerful moment. Verse 24, and I love it whenever you come to this part in Scripture, anytime you see it, because there's always this moment where it's like there's this declaration about what's going to happen in the world, and then there's another statement that will pop up and it will be but. And it means the story is about to be transformed, that God has something else to say about the matter, that the people who follow God have something different to say about the matter. If nothing changes, Saul is in danger, and he's going to die. It says pretty clearly here, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And you're going to talk about this crazy story. And a lot of times we wrap this up and we teach this in children in Sunday school lessons or in connect group lessons, and we talk about this story about, you know, this, this moment of his deliverance. I guarantee that I don't know too many people, if any, in the American Western culture church who have been in danger of their, because of their faith to this extent. There are people around the world that are in danger because of their faith to this extent right now. In fact, there are more people that are in danger because of their faith today than have ever been in danger before. There's a picture of us when we look here, and there's a lot of, a lot of interesting things, and oftentimes as a minister that I will, I will kind of have this, this moment where I have to take everybody's walk into consideration of where they're at in their journey before I get kind of wound up about whatever it is they're fuss, fussing at me about, Okay. And, you know, pastors get fussed at, okay? We get fussed about all kinds of things. People will come to me and they'll say stuff about whatever. And I'll just have to take into account, okay, okay, take it with a breath. Okay, I'm, I'm hearing your important criticism of whatever. And then oftentimes I have to remind myself that it's hard for me because when I think of Jesus and I think of all that he suffered and everything that he went through, that, man, it becomes pretty insignificant when there are things that seem pretty petty when somebody comes to me and they're like, Brother Ben. And I'm like, and? And they're like, you know, because it's been everything in the course of 20-plus years of doing pastoral ministry. Everything from the cushions on the seats to the temperature to the font size to the everything, okay? And I just love people enough to be like, okay, 
I hear what you're saying, and I try, I'll try to fix it as best I can. And I temper it with the reality that I know that Jesus was nailed to a cross. And I think to myself, how easy for us to complain about the simple things in our comfort when there was no comfort for Jesus. I think it's profound, the very last words in this, in this, this section of verses that I shared with you this morning talks about the comfort that the Holy Spirit offers. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But we look at this and we realize that Saul is in, he's facing something that we don't identify very well with. And it's his immediate group of friends that have taken him under their wing very quickly into their story. He just becomes part of their group because Ananias told them, hey, you got to take this guy in. And they're trying to help him get out alive. So they put him in a basket and they lower him down the wall. This is not the first time that God Almighty has used a basket to save an important person through the narrative of Scripture. Okay? And you start to think to yourself, you know, my wife will tell you I'm not a fan of wicker or anything. Sometimes I have to remember that, man, it was a wicker basket. I, I suspect it was a wicker basket that carried Moses. And I suspect this is probably a wicker basket. Maybe I should have a different opinion about wicker, amen? Somebody says, sit on this wicker furniture. And I said, you apparently are not familiar with gravity because me and gravity and wicker, they don't sound like they work together, okay? I'd have been afraid if I was solid. I'd have been like, that thing's going to blow out the bottom. I'm going to hit the ground. But I'm going to die either way, so let's go. Well, we get to verse 26, and it says, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, so he, he leaves, flees. It says he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. How many were afraid of him? Look at your neighbor and say, all means all. So all of the disciples that are in Jerusalem are afraid of him. Some of these great titans that we learn about in the scriptures that are hanging out in Jerusalem, and I'm telling you, have not been scattered yet because of the persecution that came on the early church. Some of these titans that we read about that followed Jesus, they're looking at Saul and they're like, we're not, we're not comfortable. I would suggest that they are, through the scope of things that have happened recently in history in their lives, are thinking about what Jesus went through. And they're thinking, I don't want to have to go through what Jesus went through, so I need to be careful with these people that arrest people in you know, prison or kill people who follow Jesus because if they did to Jesus a thing, they might do it to me. So they have good reason to be concerned. Verse 27, that word again, but, it says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. You know, each of us in our course of our journey, our faith journey, needs a Barnabas, right? Each of us needs someone who believes in us. That's point number two. There's a moment by which we come into the narrative of this story where Barnabas has experienced just a little bit of who Saul is now. Not what Saul was, but who he is now. And he is willing to invest in him. And he is willing to stand up for him. And he, his name has a particularly special meaning in the course of Scripture, and it's the measure of encouragement. And I'll let you go and do your own word study to find out, you know, but you see this picture. It says he brings them, brings, took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And there's this 
wonderful narrative of everything miraculous that had happened to Saul. And Barnabas tells the disciples, he vets him. He stands in the presence of of others and he says, no, 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 no. He has had a miraculous encounter just like we had many miraculous encounters. And he is is testifying on the like-mindedness of their understanding that Jesus does miraculous things in the midst of the people who follow him. And he is testifying in such a way, he says, this man encountered Jesus. And then his testimony is, is that what he taught the people or what he preached and proclaimed to the people afterwards was about Jesus. And this cannot be the words of a killer. And it's pretty powerful. You know, there's lots of interesting personalities that I pay attention to in the world of, of, of things because, man, they tell encouraging stories or neat little tidbits. And Neil Ford is one of those guys. And he's, he is on the internet and he's talking about this story of his childhood. And he says that there was a moment in his childhood where he had a bike route. So many of you, you know, probably as, as young, in your long, young life, had a very first job that maybe, when you look back on it, was very important at the time, but it seems pretty small by comparison to everything you've done since then, right? But he has a bike route. And he gets on his bike early in the morning, and he takes off to run his bike route. And he says his neighbor, whose name was Carl, by the way, was a very humble man, and he was typically out in his yard doing something, even early in the morning, he said, as he would leave on that bike ride, he said his neighbor would, would take his hands and make this, this kind of gesture like this every morning. And he was like, it was so weird. I don't understand. It's like he was cheering for me to ride my bike to deliver newspapers. He says that one day my father asked me in his story, in his words, to go and get a, a hedge trimmer to borrow it from the neighbors. And when he shows up, his wife of Carl says, Carl's not here. Let me let you in, and I'll let you look for what you need. Well, she intentionally takes him to the house and takes him into this basement room. And when he opens the door, she just says, look in there until you find it. When he gets in there, there's obviously no tools. There are four walls covered with military accolades, awards, letters from important people, Churchill, Patton. And in one of the pictures, in a personal note from Patton, there's this picture of Patton doing that motion as he's watching a supply chain come and come to find out Carl had been a man in the military who had served in a supply chain operation. He, he managed supply chains and he got things to and from the battlefield and to and from the, the soldiers and he supplied them and Patton was cheering him on for doing his job well. And it's just this small bit of encouragement in the midst of the world. And this is Barnabas in this story where he is just cheering for, for Saul even though everybody else doubts him. And we all need somebody like this in our life that will just cheer for us, no matter how high or how low they are. Some of us need a, a supervisor or a boss, or we need to become one who cheers for people who need a second chance or have changed their life. And there's this moment in Scripture where you see it. And there's these heroic efforts. Because what does Barnabas risk if they don't like what he has to say? He declares to them, this truth about him. Verse 28 says, and they take him on his word apparently because in verse 28 it was, so he was with them at Jerusalem. Do you have that kind of buy-in with your friends where you could speak for somebody and they would just include somebody new? I hope you do because Saul is just part of their group now, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenist but they attempted to kill him. Mm. 
Point number three, bold proclamation is a benchmark of genuine faith. Now, this is something that I hope you see, and I told you we would talk about, you know, your various gifts and talents in, in, in quiet ways sometimes. Some of you are saying to yourself, Brother Ben, the whole sharing my faith with other people or teaching other people or saying things to other people is not something that comes naturally or comfortably to me. Well, let me share with you something that I believe is true. Some of us are, are mouthpieces, and we're supposed to talk to people. We're supposed to get out, and we're supposed to encourage people, and we're supposed to just, just, just energize the, the world with words. But some of us are just supposed to get out and testify about Jesus something in some other way, quietly working all the while, and every step along the way, we're testifying about Jesus. It was a number of years into my pastorate at a church in Missouri, and, and now many years ago, where there was a woman who had played piano and dear to us, well, she got sick and Lord brought her home to glory. Before that time of her illness, before her, before her sickness overcome her, she had played piano at that church for four decades. Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesdays when necessary, and her testimony to, to, to proclaiming her Savior was just to chisel away at the gates of hell with every keystroke on the piano. She would just play and play. And that was her gift. And that was her bold witness. And for some of us, quietly working in the midst of a church, doing something that nobody ever sees or notices is our testimony. But trust me, there is something for you to do where you can testify. If you don't know what it is, go home and talk to God about it and ask him, what do you want me to do for you? that will tell the world that I love you because you have loved me and it's obvious to others. And it will be this moment where you look because Barnabas is in the story long enough to talk to his group and then it's Saul after that. You might just be setting somebody else to be the next big mouthpiece. I didn't say the next big mouth. I said the next big mouthpiece. But he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord he disputes the Hellenists. And then it says, but they attempted to kill him. It didn't free him from his danger, did it? When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Man, he has left where he was to come here, and now he's being sent out from here to go somewhere else. I'm telling you, this talking about Jesus stuff might just get you on the run, right? Something powerful happens as a result. It says, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Edified means to be built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Multiplication becomes evidence, right? Multiplying faith is evidence of right action. That's point number four if you're keeping up. There's a picture for us in this, and, and there's a, a moment where we begin to realize it says, so, so you mean that the church can grow, and there'll be peace in the midst of the church, and the church can be built up, and there'll be a presence of God's Spirit that is comforting to us, even when those of us who are boldly proclaiming are in danger. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've noticed, and this is a, this is a, a, a criticism that I share with you, and, and I hope to, to, to not end on this note, certainly don't plan to. 
But you know, one of the things, and I kind of started out on a hard note where I said that people come and fuss at me about stuff, and that's fine. I, I want to hear you. Okay? I'm not trying to discourage that. Right? But one of the things that I have noticed is that when there's no pressure from the outside of, of the church, on the church, to be a bold witness, then we kind of come at each other for some reason. It's amazing how this little bit of intensity about Saul being in their midst and being in danger brings them multiplication. I suggest that it's because when things are a little bit rocky and people are a little bit uncomfortable with the message and the message is true and it's life-changing, that it makes people outside uncomfortable, but it confirms for the people inside that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. If we're not causing just a little bit of unease, then what are we actually doing? I stood before the pastors at the association meeting this week and got a chance to share with them. And I told them, I said, one of the things that I hope we never get into a, a rut about is that we're just here to manage the retirement of people. Trust me, this is not the retirement of anyone. This is the forward going of a church that's reaching and discipling and sending into and beyond its community. Everyone has a testimony to give and a bold proclamation to make, whether it's quietly and silently in the ears and eyes of others or whether it is energized and out in front of everybody. And you can find a way to chisel right up against the, the gates of hell and see, see lost people saved by being faithful to what it is God is calling you to do. You know, it reminded me, when I think about Paul or Saul, not yet changed to Paul, but Saul, his proclamation of truth is really interesting because He's honest about who he was, and he tells the truth about who Jesus is. And it reminded me of a story that I heard, this powerful illustration of a, of a boss who had all of his important leaders gathered in their workplace, and he had a meeting, and he gave all of them a pot and some soil and some seeds, and he sent them home, and he says, I want you to go home, and for the next several weeks, I want you to nurture these seeds, and I want you to bring back the best potted plant." There's an image that's tucked away in there somewhere. You're welcome to throw it up if you'd like. After several weeks of struggle, there's a uh, fear coming over this individual who's part of this exercise. And he's talking to his wife about what his boss has told him to do. And he is watering it, and he's looking up on the internet how to do this right, and making sure that the soil is, is proper moist, and, you know, and that it's not too much water, and it's getting sunlight, even though there's no growth whatsoever. And he looks at his wife after weeks, and he's like, deadline is tomorrow. We're supposed to come in with this thing. And it is just a pot full of dirt. And his wife's like, what are you going to do? He's like, man, I don't know. I'm tempted to go down to the store and buy a plant. And when he shows up at work, after having wrestled with this decision, he gets there and the room is filled with beautiful potted plants. Ones that had grown for weeks and weeks according to the testimony of their bearers. But he decided to be honest. And he shows up with his pot full of dirt and no plant. And at that moment, the owner of the company looks out upon the group and he says, I want to talk to the man right there. And the man, pot, dirt, no plant. He says, come up to the front. And he asked him what his specific job title was. And he, he gives him this opportunity to kind of de describe what he does for the company. He says, well, you're going to get a promotion today. 
And everybody looks, and they're like looking at him, and they're looking at each other. And he goes, because I gave everyone in this room dead seeds, and the rest of you are liars. You see, your testimony doesn't have to be a lie or something it's not. It needs to be honest about what you were before Jesus met you and who you are now as a result. And it needs to be a picture of him doing the work, not you making anything grow, but just honest. And that's what matters. And what you need in your life is a Barnabas that will champion that and say, they tell the truth about who they were and they tell the truth about who Jesus is and that's what we want to champion. Or you need to look at somebody else and do that for them. And you need to decide this morning which one you need to be. Somebody that needs encouragement because all of us would say that's us. But some of you in this room could encourage other people to see life change and tell the truth about them. I'm going to have you stand with me today. And I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we thank you that when we come to this place, Lord, that we can be reminded that you are the life-changing agent in our midst and that our testimony is the direct result and you rescuing us and saving us and that there's a place for absolutely every one of us with you to tell a story about who you are in our life. Lord, I cry out today because there might be some in this room that have never met you, that don't know what it means to be like a soul and have your life changed forever. And I I cry out for them, Lord, that they would begin to understand what it means to need you. But for those of us, Lord, that are in the room, I also also ask of you. I ask you, Lord, to to dig down deep into our soil and dig out the part of us that's dead. Lord, that our testimony, when it's on display, isn't a lie. And we're not afraid to show the world that we were dead. But you bring dead things to life. And we want to be alive in you, Lord. I pray for each and every one of us that's here that we would be encouraged, but also be encouraged of others. That when we look to the heavens and we look to our church family and we look to others, Lord, that we would see them with their hands clasped together over each shoulder cheering us on to go about the work that we're doing. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.